Welcome to Fallout Podcast, episode 38, a.k.a. Chicken and Chips Off the Bone. Is there anybody there? It's a fall summation. All 525 songs going head-to-head in Ultimate Warrior Showdown, split into four eras. 77 to 85, 86 to 93, 94 to 01, and 02 to 0-2-17. I don't know why that tickled me so much. Tonight, Psychic Dance Hall versus Pilsner Trail, The Mixer versus Immortality, I'm a Mummy versus Das Caterer, and Sir William Ray versus Cosmos 7. Joined, as always, by Monsieur Pippington Biard, Soiled Magician. How are you, Pip? I'm very good, mate. I've, uh, I've no plasters on my hands, but I have got a one on my elbow. Oh, Lord Sage Temple, surely not. Well, he is. I'm, I'm, um, it's cherry blossom season. Certainly, it's yeah. beautiful. Beautiful, aren't mm-hmm. And T. Pemberton Walkerbone, one in scam. How are you, Alistair? Uh, not doing bad at all. Thank you very much, Mr. Brendan. Just had a week off work, so that's always fun. Good, good. Hope you're relaxed. Service the yeah. boiler, as you will. Bloody knackered, that's all. <laughs> Late nights, innit? And Tin Twa. Left the gates of hell and now skin flayed wandering. Is he with us tonight? Is he is. He's coming through loud and clear. Good, good. Myself, Treebeard's host, Chalice and Cardboard Holy Grail. I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Tabata over Hi. there, sitting next to Ezra. Good evening. How are you? Fine. Good. Now, are you a fan of the fall? Mm, I really do. A little. Good. Me too. Not very maniac. Normal. A normal level. Good, good. So first up, we're going to listen to a song off uh, Dragnet 1979 called Psychic Dance Hall. Philip, if you are able to, pull up that bad boy and let it fly. Is there anybody there? Yeah! Seamless. <laughs> you want the rest of it as well? Go on then. Give us a bit more. <laughs> yeah. after a break oh yeah yeah well we're back we're back who would have thought it and as as is customary in these times philip i'm coming to you first psychic dance hall what do you make of that oh it's a classic it's a classic one it's uh it's got everything that i absolutely love it's it's beautifully crafted the guitar parts excuse me are all original coming together like a a perfect example of post-punk aesthetics the the rhythms and the tonal shifts that have have all been uh, nicked and lifted by uh, all those bands of the noughties, like um, Future Eds and Cribs and Franz Ferdinand and stuff, all kind of borrowed from this uh, this slice of the fall. Mez is a cult be- 
obsessed with these vibrations living on. And I, I you know, I make no secret of being a huge fan of, of Dragnet with all its uh, beautiful lo-fi production just on the, the perfect side of crap. So for me, I think this is uh, this is perfect fall. This is everything that I come to the show for. I think we're done here then, aren't we? <laughs> agree. Agree or disagree, Alistair? Uh, very strongly agree with Mr. Pip on this one. One of those, it's one of the first ones where he starts going on about the paranormal stuff, I think. Uh, it's very early one anywhere for, for that. But yeah, the, the recording, uh, Dead Lo-Fi, did quite like the, the, it was like just the beat to the drums on it as well. It's it's like nothing that's too kind of like outlandish or distinctive, like, but it just really fits it. Um, and all the sort of like the discord and the, the bendy strings with the guitar. Well, yeah, I can't think of anything else from that era that sounds quite like this, but I could be uh, be put right on that one. You never know. I was thinking the same thing. Oh, it's, it doesn't, it's not not punky it's not garagey it's not indie it's somewhere in between those three kind of worlds and it is very spooky the single version um it starts off with like a bon tempi kind of beat and it's a lot more percussive it's really cool i thought it was a cover until it kicked in ezra what do you make of this well obviously it's fucking great marky smith on the occult yeah i believe in all these things don't think about them much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, it's it, it's three thumbs up. That's one for each hand and one for my third eye. There, there they have no records. They know your questions about no words. Just bumble, stumble to the waves, twitching out to the waves. Clock it, rock it. It's quest a psychic dance hall. Never bored with ESP medium discord. When I'm dead and gone, my vibrations will live on. In vibes, not vinyl, through the years, people will dance to my waves. Great lyrics. I'm sure we've all, we're all well aware of those. And, you know, like, I love the way that he's kind of collapsing, consciously or not, he's collapsing, like, different events and different locations together into one kind of, like, fourth-dimensional clusterfuck. It's, it's very sweet. It's very sweet. I'm a big fan. As always, we're given the benefit of the doubt. Tabata-san, what do you think about Psychic Dance Hall? What, what is just hunky Psychic Dance Hall? Is yeah. the track. Uh, that song, yeah, it's good. Mm, it's good. Mm. I, I think that the Dragnet is the first uh, album I, I, I had. Okay. Oh. In, for the fall. Uh-huh. Because it's, it was late, late 70s? Yeah. Yeah, it was 79. 79, I was junior high school. It was really difficult to get the fall album in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one knows about fall. Mm. Uh, at the time, the pe- people know that Sex Pistols, The Dam, Crash, Buzzcocks, and others, and maybe Wire. But the four is very, uh, I, I don't know, it, it's re- really difficult to get in the record shop. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, the import. Program, so when did you get it? Uh, it's very late. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 10 years later. What about the same kind of distribution? It's like Wire, who run Harvest, which was same level as Floyd, I think, with some stuff. EMR. Uh, distribution what, network. No, no, no. They, that was the next stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Grotesque and that was on, mm-hmm. was on Rush Trade. What was Dragnet on? It was on uh, Step Forward, which was this tiny little uh, label, and it was actually owned by um, Miles Copeland, who also did IRS, so a lot of the early REM stuff, and his brother was uh, Stuart Copeland from The Police. 
Um, that was step forward. Yes, I imagine very difficult to find in record shops. Were you living in Tokyo at that time, Tabata? I was living in Kyoto. In Kyoto, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm gro- I was growing up in Kyoto. Nice. So probably quite difficult to find fall records. Yeah. What does Tim 3 think of this record, Phil? So he is scratched onto the walls. Psychic Dance Hall. I'm not sure I could be friends with anyone that didn't feel the allure of this one. Skank guitar, unstable, bark and fat production. They know your questions about no words. Inspired. It is inspired. One of the one of the annotated fall things says there's a in an interview he says, like, I found a lot of my writing is actual prophecy. It's a bit it's a bit it's a bit pompous, isn't it, Mark? And from the single version, he does a spoken word bit that says, Helen Duncan was accused of being a fraudulent medium. They burst into a seance over in a Portsmouth chemist shop, a length of ectoplasm or a suit of cheesecloth. I, I bought the um, the collection called Psychic Dance Hall. That's it's probably my favourite fall best of. I'm sure it was in there that they were in the liner notes. They were talking about where when they were in the in the early days of the band were recording this. There was a dance school that was so the building was supposed to be haunted, and that was where the germ of the idea came from um, for writing the song. But it's, I, I like what, what Ezra was saying before, and the thing that I've always taken from this is the parallel that he draws from that kind of paranormal haunted house kind of story into what records are and the ghostly sort of presence of a band, even though the band might have disappeared, that the, the vibrations still live on of the singer. Yeah, very much kind of what we're doing now, talking about his music, listening to his music, the vibrations are living on as much as he would have hated it. Um, K. Carroll apparently said that there was an actual psychic centre over the top of a, a, a baker's or a hairdresser's in Presswich. Brammer apparently contested that story and said that the, he actually went to a disco that was over the of a spiritualist church in Presswich called Quester's Psychic Disco that he told Mark about and then Mark wrote the song. So who knows? It's lost in the midst of time. It's beautiful. Those Both those guitars are doing weird and wild things and there's um, just to show how powerful they were in, uh, in that kind of like speed mode. There's a cover, uh, no a cover, there's a version live in 2012 that I posted earlier where Smith sings the lyrics at half the speed because he can't keep up with the speed that he was singing those that uh it's a very propulsive track it's beautiful no one's arguing with tim three i don't know what he's going on about has everyone had a go let's have a listen next to whatever song is next pilsner trail which was a discarded track from perverted by language that didn't come out until an 80s reissue
think that's enough of that. Alistair, I'm coming to you first. Pilsner Trail, not yeah. unperverted by language, 1983. It's the first bits of my notes is uh, going, oh, it's not it's not on the uh, perverted by language vinyl, this one, but you know, it must be like uh, one of the B-sides, uh, and I was just questioning where it came from. But yeah, nice skippy beat, a bit like the Bush Kangaroo. Do you like the two-chord sort of like guitar, dirgy riff to that skippy beat though, as well? That's some uh, some good walking uh, fodder that. Quite like the chord of the vocals as well. Don't know if it's like multi-tracked, off. there's a bit of delay on there, but there's an interesting sort of effect that's kind of going along with it. But yeah, you've got a nice draw and the energy to it with uh, a jammed out feel. And there's a bit of a dark vibe in it as well. I think that's quite like, but yeah, I, I like that one. I can see why they left it off in the end, because when you, it's got a similar vibe to something like Garden, but it doesn't quite gel. I quite like the... The riff, but it reminds me of something kind of like the Riley stuff off Room to Live, like Joker hysterical face. It's got that kind of like two kind of chord uh, bop along kind of thing, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, I, I default not to like stuff from this era, though. Even the worst stuff, it's probably my favourite era. So pretty much everything that I from then, you know, it could, it could have been absolute dog shit, really, like when you're listening back to it compared to the other ones. But yeah, as a standalone track, I think that they kind of get by. Fair enough. It does definitely have all the hallmarks of that that era, preferred by language era, but... Um, like I said, lacking something for my take. Philip, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, I, I, the, the two chord thing is is something that is sort of sums up this era for me, really. It's it's something that they do really well, and it's they do it really well on this track. It's very repetitive. It's a, that two chord bump type thing. And it, it although it does lead into a really extended guitar solo, which which was a bit unusual for the for well, for any fall record, really. And by extended, it is really surprisingly long. And it, I thought his vocal got a bit Johnny Lydon in places, which uh, is is something that's always been a criticism levelled at him, which I think is a bit unfair. But on this, he does kind of fall foul a bit. It's pretty brutal and stark in its its arrangement and its production. It kind of proves the point you can write a song about anything as well. Yeah, it's a bit Seinfeld, isn't it? It doesn't really sort of go anywhere or do anything. It just sort of trundles along. There's some nice little touches that are thrown in, some like ESG kind of little touches, which I thought were quite nice. And the board backing vocals. But yeah, that was that was my final point, really, that I put in my notes was is this about anything? It just seems to kind of be there and it's not offensive but it's uh, it doesn't really get over any hill at any point republic grim truth hot blood erupts plaster on the hands so um i had an acquaintance once that worked for one of those companies that would whenever your name popped up in the newspaper whatever they would send you the clips of, but, he, but he told me once something that, that terrified me that somebody had had an account with their organization for many many years to look for anything that came up with this with a phrase oil on hands during worship and whenever that phrase came up they were to send the clipping directly directly to this uh, mysterious <laughs> account holder. Very weird. That's what this track made me think of, falling asleep as, a, as that guitar solo went on and on. Well, that was quite nice, maybe the best bit. Ezra, what do you make of Pilsner Trail? Yeah, glad you brought up the guitar solo because, you know, a rare thing in the fall universe and should be celebrated regardless of guitar merit or lack thereof. Yeah, I, I wrote irritating by numbers, like an energetic drunkard chewing your ear off 
has a tiggerish bounce. This irrepressible drunkard will happily eat a beating before brekkie, and the yellow seeps through the plaster on the hands. Travel five stations to the plaster on the hands. Blood came between four and two, the plaster on the hands. Choo-choo Pilsner Trail, lit- <laughs> test. Hit me in the diaphragm and I'll still eat my breakfast. Nice rhyme there. And yeah, you know, so I assume that's what this song is about, is about a guy who really gets on people's tits when he's had a few drinks and gets beaten up on a train. But then why are the plasters on his hands? Maybe he beat someone up. Exactly. Because he thought they weren't listening to his tiresome rants. So they were going back and forth on Antated Fall about how they, oh, it might not mean like plaster Paris, it might mean like a sticking plaster, but I've only ever heard it referred to as a sticking plaster, never a plaster. I've never heard anyone call it anything other than a plaster. It this seems thing, like it's a plaster, though. I, I mean, I've heard it plaster. referred to as a plaster. I only, I'd, I'd ask you to leave if you called it anything else. How's Tabata? What do you think of this song? Tabata. Do you, what do you think of Pilsner Trail? Mm, perverted by language. I only have the death album, the fall yeah, in my house. Good record. Mm, what do you think about Pilsner Trail? Oh, it's a good song. Uh-huh. Why? I don't know. I, I like fall. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think that know. is a great reason. Perfect. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's uh, any time I, I can hear that their song is uh, I can recognize that that's Paul. Mm. The, the biggest point to what I like. Mm. But you know, earlier you said that you like this one better than Psychic Dance. Also, I'm really mm. interested to know why <laughs> you prefer <laughs> Pilsner Trail. Oh yeah, why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why was with the why? Stop asking why. It, it just. I'm is. sorry. What does uh, Tim, what does Tim three think? <laughs> what does Tim three think of Pills in a Trail? I'm not telling you. Come um, on, Phil. The only song from the PBL era that I think is genuine pish. This gets right on my tits, and I don't know why. Banal and irritating. It is a bit. It's there's another track later on that did win me over a little bit more, but f- falls from the same kind of like it is almost by numbers. This seems like all the great bits off of it by language era, but he just doesn't work. But it is a fall song and I love the fall too. So, but is it going to win? That is the question. So let's take a vote. Have we all said something? So. <laughs> That point gets earlier and earlier each episode. I I usually write it down. I'm going to write it down somewhere. (laughs) All right, listen. Psychic Dance Hall versus Pilsner Trail. Ezra? I'm going for the Psychic Dance Hall. Oh, and Tabata-san? Pilsner Trail. Very good. Alistair? Uh, Oh, it's going to be Psychic Dance Hall for myself. Mm, Phil Rigby? Rocky, Rocky. Aye, aye. And me. And I can infer... And Tim three that he also gone with psychic dance all so psychic dance all it wins hooray moving on to the next showdown which is the mixer off shift work 1991 against immortality off code selfish 1992 it was a blast of the mixer if you don't mind Philip oh uh, just a minute yeah I think Tabata has a question yes Tabata how big is the four in England oh. <laughs> So, so I am I'm very interesting about the differences of the popularity 
about the band. This album Shift Work around this era, early 90s, they actually had some top 20 albums. So they were quite popular in the charts, but mm, mostly just kind of a big indie band. In, in Japan, uh, for a long time, you know, the fall is very minor, mm. less popular than XTC and The Wire, something like that. Yeah. Uh, they came to Japan once, the fall. Yeah, yeah, no, one time. It, it's in the big, big midweek. It was extra kit era because... Yeah. I listened to uh, Simon Wilsoncroft talking about it on, the, on Old Brother. So they went to Japan and, and on that tour, he, he sacked Bramble and Marsha Schofield during that tour. So that Early 90s. 1990. Yeah. I, I guess in England, maybe the Fallen Wire are similar levels of popularity. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So why is it bigger than four here? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that maybe the ten times bigger than the four. Yeah. Mm. Maybe they played more gigs or... Why are they getting popular? They're on a major label, I think, weren't ah, they? Major label. Mm-hmm. Harvest, the same mm-hmm. as the Pink Friday. Oh, yeah. EMI, right? So they were... EMI, they were yeah. They were on a big label, and, and the four were on um, Fontana for a few years, mm. but that's... That's kind um, of this era, next, isn't it? Yeah, this era where they were the biggest, but yeah, the, I think Wire had just a bigger record label. Same with XTC. Oh, okay. And XTC had some really big hit singles in, in England as well, early oh, yeah. 80s. Good, good. Let's listen to the next track, which is The Mixer. <laughs> Saying Aspinall restaurant. I thought he was saying that. <laughs> Thank you. Ezra, I'm coming to you first. The mixer. I think it's a big shame that he didn't rhyme elixir with mixer. I think it might have made a, a better song. I think he likes his mixer, his sound mixer. He might want to work more with that particular mixer because he sounds so wistful about his mixer. Born and bred in South Yorkshire is close to me, observes Victorian press and is puzzled by spotted dick. The mixer sweats. I don't think it's a lyrical high point, but it's good that you were spotted dick in there. Yeah, you know, like a lot of the stuff from this period, I think it works better in its context. And when it take comes out of its context, I think it's a bit wishy-washy. And uh, that's as far as I'll go, I think. It did take me a few 
few listens to get into it, but I did go, as Phil likes to say, on a journey with this song. I turned a corner, went down the street, and I ended up, went past New Order Village, and uh, thought, you know, I can kind of can kind of dig this. Who would have thought Casio clap, castanets, arpeggiated synths, a smooth bass, and a slightly out-of-tune fiddle would have worked so well? And who are we to thank for this? The mixer, that's right. Apparently the, the fellow who mixed this, Robert Gordon from Forge Masters, who w- did one of the first like bleepy techno year singles on Warp. So, and he did a very good job with the mix. So well done. He turns his head and smiles at me. I am blessed he earns my salary. And it is a wistful delivery. I think it stands up by itself. I'm, I'm gaining some uh, small levels of respect for shift work as we go through this process. Beautiful and dense in, um, in a way. And I do like the fact that those claps are abused. There's no need for anywhere near that many claps on a song. And, and Smith pointed out by saying they all sing clap. Philip, what do you make of the mixer? I've on a journey with this one. But I found it around the corner from uh, from James Village because it's I, I, I love them early James albums, mm. um, like Seven and Gold Mother and stuff like that. And it really put me in that mood. It just, and even even his delivery, probably because it is quite wistful and melodic, I could hear Tim Booth singing it as well. It's, so it, 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 I went into it thinking, yeah, I, I quite like this. And even though it does, it sort of bimbles along as a tune, doesn't it? It's it sort of drifts and it's it's quite gentle, but it's got just enough stuff to keep me interested in it. I, I never sort of lost interest whilst I was listening to it. And I I do wonder whether some of uh, Ezra's aesthetic for these um, for for cheap keyboards is rubbing off on me as well. Because I, I too was enjoying the percussion that was going on with that. And uh, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed this. I quite enjoyed it. Actually, the percussion across a lot of these songs tonight really struck struck me. Um, obviously, um, on Psychic Dance Hall, it's quite propulsive. I think the last three songs that we're going to come to tonight all have really interesting percussion going on. Alistair, what do you make of uh, the mixer? I, when uh, Phil was mentioning the, the James thing, it made me think of uh, going back about 1990 in Manchester, you could get uh, these James parody t-shirts that were kind of like, they looked like the James sit-down ones, but they said James suck on the front where they had the, the sit-down back print, or back print, uh, ass print kind of thing. It just said, fuck off. But yeah, Smithy's sounding quite reflective. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not dead keen on the on like some elements of the production, you know, like, but yeah, the castanets and, and the claps were quite funny. That really reminded me of like Estudiantes by Frank Sidebottom. But I yeah, the striped panties. I still want. <laughs> it, it sounds like it's bare and, and synth led. Drums are a pretty standard sort of just straight beat to it. If there's guitars on there, they're really, really low in the mix. I couldn't, I couldn't pick any out very well. And, but yeah, it, it could say more many synths. It's quite sort of like smooth, polite, commercial. <clears throat> but you know, it's probably good music to have on your headphones if you've gone around the supermarket. Yeah, we've said we've said a lot of uh, this era. The production starts to get a little bit muddier and thinner, and and but I think it really does sit well that mix of instruments. The violin. On- oh yeah, yeah, uh, nice. Yeah, like somebody at the Water Boys had strolled into the studio uh, by mistake. So that chap's Kenny Brady. I think he's on a bunch of tracks, and th- this has been the one so far that's seemed like it's worked for the best. Tabata, what do you think of? Um, 
the mixer. This is a typical Omanche sound. Japanese called uh, call Manchester. In in Japan, in Japan, everybody called Omanche. Omanche. If you call the mother, we call the Oka-san. We call father. It's Oto-san. It's always to put the O something like that. We call the Omanche. Manchester sound. Omanche. This is typical Omanche. <laughs> you know the soup dragons or Happy Mondays. Is, is this album is the same sound as a song? Pretty much. Oh, okay. Mm, pretty much. This is 1991, and then the next one is 1992. Yeah, Manchester kind of sound. Omanche also sounds familiar to um, another word in Japanese. I'm, I'm not sure if I can say it in Japan because I might be um, cursed by the by the gods. Boys don't have it. Omanko. Omanko. Omanche. There's some, something similar. <laughs> really annoying to me that say Omanche in, in Manchester. <laughs> but everybody says uh, in, in Japanese, the people who listen to music, everybody says Manchester sound called Omanche. <laughs> well, somehow, someone <laughs> call, call it was Omanche. The Manchester sound is called Omanche. What does Tim 3 think of, the, of this song, The Mixer? He says. Now this is this is a turn up for the box. I love this track. Love it. He's sounding a bit Kevin Keegan there, isn't he? Love it. I especially like the version with the reading from a manual for a mixing desk or something read right over the beginning. The cheese electronics and claps meld perfectly with the fiddle, and naff guitar strumming sounds right for once on the album. I like the idea of a piece of recording gear having emotions, sweating for production. A classic track from an era I generally hate. Sweet. And moving on to immortality. We just called everyone from Manchester a cunt then. Is that, is that where we've just gone with that? I, I mean, it wouldn't, that... Be the, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> 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 Immortality <laughs> of Code Colon Selfish 1992, if you don't mind. Are you bring us to order though. Aye, aye. <laughs> I believe uh, Terry Christian described as vaginal. 
on his uh, radio show. Alistair, what do you make oh, no. of this gem? Um, it's one of the better ones from Code Selfish. Um, not a big fan of Code Selfish, so having said that, it sounds like uh, the LP that New Order should have made at the time uh, because they just went right down the pan. There's uh, quite an obvious guitar nick on there, the uh, floppy boot Captain Beefheart thing going on that just stuck out like a sore thumb. But yeah, it's very standard 90s indie dance crossover kind of thing going on but I do like his um, aha 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 vocal bits those are quite pleasant that is the only thing that I took from this song that I quite liked where he went immortality sounds nice step on once more rifled no redeeming features what I've put don't try and put it in your pock bucket Ezra come on immortality what do you reckon it's interesting with both the mixer and immortality I listened to the Peel Sessions for this. The Peel Sessions are not as good as the actual album version because they don't have enough drum machines. Immortality, I really, really, really like. Uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as calling it vaginal or vaginal or vaginal. It's 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 the Manchester keys or the your Manchester keys that really do it for me. I wish they'd been more fuzzed and fuzzed out and cavernous with reverb because it seems like they're trying something almost hauntological here with this kind of like weathered tribal groove. And you know, being that the song's about immortality, it seemed to me like they're making the point that like, yeah, you might aspire to immortality, but probably the only part of what you're doing if you're a musician that will become immortal is just that little part of your sound that dun 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 that'll be immortal, you know. Like so what I heard though is that you prefer a cavernous or manchi. Fuzzy and cavernous is what I was going to get to. You might have been hearing correctly. At that time, the, the four want to get success. That's yeah. why they were involved with the Manchester sound. Yeah, well, this this was when they signed to a major label and they did uh, three or four records, kind of started to get their albums in the charts. A Smith always said he hated the Manchester sound, but then started <laughs> making album after album that sounded like Manchester. So, yeah. They this is in 1992, right? Yeah, yeah 92. Yeah. And the, the mixer was in 1991. That's right. That's interesting because uh, uh, it's kind of 1991, it's, I, I think Primal Scream released the Scream Adelica is a kind of yeah. key yeah, yeah. of the, 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 the sound. That sound in yeah. 1991. But at the in America, the near burner released in the never mind, you know, same year. It, you know, the second summer of love is, is I thought the second summer of love, this whole world is coming to the big people. But it, I don't know, the, in the USA, it's kind of a punk rock explosion again or something like that. You know, you never mind or the Jesus Lizard. So 1989, 1990, Happy Monday, Stone Roses, Manchester, and then 91, 92, Grunge. Grunge is also in England. Yeah, you're talking about the Daisy Chancel. <laughs> I mean, Nirvana got big, but yeah, but yeah, the the whole kind of like rave dance scene kind of preceded that. Yeah, yeah. There was, and, there was competition. There was competition between the two. Was. I, in my memory, it's like the last sort of Beatles and Stones kind of thing yeah. that happened yeah, in, yeah. in Britain. And after that, everything just kind of just became a lot more homogenous. After that, it, it didn't matter mm. if you listened to bands or dance music 
music or anything like that. But before that, you sort of, your identity was tied to music a little bit more. You mentioned Screamadelica before. I mean, that, that was Andy Weatherall. He had a, a big sort of part to play in that, you know, like turning like what was like a rock and roll band or an indie band into sort of like a, an indie dance crossover band, you know. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I remember those days because I was in uh, high school. Some guy who was a big dance music fan was looking at a, a an issue of Kerrang, looking at members of Sepultura and he was like, this is why I don't like rock music. Look at them. They're all so sweaty. <laughs> I'm pretty sure them dancers got sweaty too, but you know. What does, t- what does Tim 3 think of this song? <laughs> I like the bass plot and groove and slightly reggae lilt. But it's a bit bored in the delivery somehow. I should have called this out the other week for the album show as a decent track, but didn't because I'm a miserable shit. Yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere. Tabata, what do you think of this immortality song? Very romantic. Totemo romantic. Totemo romantic. A little bit digital rock. A little bit. A little bit digital rock. Phil, mm. what do you think? I, as soon as this song started, I thought this, I wanted to fucking hate this tune. It was sort of that fucking riff that it starts off with, that it's like the, it's what you pull out your ass when you're jamming and you, you, you know, if you don't play bass in the band and you pick the bass up, it's exactly the kind of bass line that you start playing to, to kind of join in with something. Um, so at the first couple of listens through, I just totally wrote this off and thought it was it was crap. But it, it's Alistair put his finger on it. It's that hook. It's the uh, 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 uh. as soon as he starts doing that, it's like oh, it's it's actually got something going for it. This tune. So I I, I really really like that. I love that hook, and it, it it almost made me forgive this shitty charlatans do the shaman kind of stuff with the cheesy uplifting piano that kind of comes into it as well and in the end it's a i am i'm gonna have to fall on the this is a poor song this is a poor song with a good idea stuck in the middle of it that doesn't is not strong enough to carry the rest of it so you wouldn't agree with stephen hanley in his book a bit midweek when he said an uplifting tribute to how our music will live on (laughs) no he's wrong (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Let's take a vote. The Mixer versus Immortality. Alistair? Mixer, please. Mixer? Philip? Mixer. Ezra? Immortality, of course. Ooh, Tabata-san? Immortality, no, Immortality. Is this competition or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a big winner. Someday, many, many years in the future. I happen to listen to the whole songs of the, the Mixer and the, what is this? It's fine. All, 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 all songs are the same. Same music. Yeah, it's pretty shit, okay. to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> because it's difficult to get here to find out it's best but the, the whole podcast is a stupid idea to be honest with you <laughs> oh really yeah we'll probably just stop now so you, you that's enough <laughs> you know the, the four is is not expensive here but it's very difficult to find because mm. no one bought that <laughs> no, you won't find a scratch copy of Shift working hard off. I I, t- I tried to get the four album in England. It was expensive. I'll still help you. I'll still send you one. Oh yeah, yeah. I can uh, send you your address. <laughs> like you Timothy. Yeah, yeah. He's for, for Mixer. Me too. Mixer wins. Hooray! Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Next track is I'm a Mummy of Levitate 1997. No, 
Is this where Alistair shocks the uh, shocks the bookies? Oh, I think so. You're up first. Hello. It's a cover. It's your favourite. It's favourite songs, the original anywhere. I hated this though when I first heard it because I loved the original that much. You know, it was just like I couldn't take to it. But listening to it back, whilst we've been doing the podcast, really, you know, it's a, a decent cover uh, that they've um, changed slightly. Um, don't like the backing vocals on it, really. I prefer the, uh, the you know, like the, back, the second vocal in the original I Am The Mummy, the uh, Bob McFadden. It was going on about, you know, all the, uh, yeah, I just come back to uh, all the Brubeck, modern jazz quartet stuff. And they, they've not got the screams in it either, which I, I thought they've really missed a trick with. But it's, it's a very good cover, though. It is a nice, wiry, lively garage cover, a Cockney lad at the end. Don't know if he needs to be there. And I can't fault it. Sticks out like a sore bloody thumb in the middle of a Levita album now. <laughs> Philip, what do you make of this? Yeah, it's a classic. I agree with everything Al says. It's uh, the, the original's absolutely brilliant. I, I had a bit of a shill bottle thing going on with this because obviously I've, I've heard it loads and loads of times. I, in fact, the first Stray Dog Cafe gig, we actually played this song. With Daniel? Yeah, who uh, was wrapped up as a mummy and yeah, we yeah, were yeah. playing some time over the top of the, the territory. So arty. Avant-garde. I kind of heard it too many times and then it started to come back into my good books again. There's the, the additions I do find funny in terms of the whole references to Paul McCartney and Mackie Smith's inability to say numbers properly which I, I, I think are great, but that backing vocal is... I don't know who thought that was a good idea, because it's not. Um, it, it gets tired very, very quickly. Uh, the drums really carry it for me, this tune. It's it's one of those that, uh, that just bounces along, isn't it? The guitar the, the guitar is quite thin, and it's good and does what it needs to do, but it's it's the drums that really kind of bounces the track. Yeah. And I love Mezzi's variations on the... <laughs> A mummy and 
the mummy. All that stuff, I think, is absolutely brilliant. So yeah, it, it's it's a great tune. It's it's just a shame they didn't. I'm, I'm totally with you, Al. I, I love the all the um, the sort of hip cut original with his. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a much better idea. But uh, but good nonetheless, enjoyable. Hi, hi, Ezra. What does this one do for your fancies? I think it's fantastic. You know, I, I like the B-stung guitars, and I feel like it's a song that Marky Smith may have identified with being treated as a monster or a freak when walking down the street. I can't imagine how he brought that on to himself. And I also like to think that there's a recorder on the mix. They're kind of like, it's probably a synthesizer, but I really like to imagine someone playing the recorder there. I believe that it could symbolize the pure, innocent intent of the singer. And I love the acerbic laugh that happens at around the two minute mark. And so I think it's the very solid cover, maybe not the cover that defines the fall, such as Funnel of Love or some other great covers, but nonetheless, an excellent piece of music. Aye, aye. I, I was working at, at um, school in Warrington. I put a band together, some kids, and I taught them to play this song along with a bunch of other songs. And they played it live when we did a stage show. And uh, we I kind of rejigged this kind of story so that it had kind of a, a monster horror thing. Which didn't go down well. It was supposed to be a nativity, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, we pl- they played "I'm a Mummy" live. The, 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 I taught the kids how to play drums, guitar, bass. Played "I'm a Mummy," and um, we went down um, a treat in my eyes. And sadly, I was asked to leave the school and have not returned since. I'm not sure how it was received in the wider body. Tabata, what do you think of "I'm a Mummy"? Good. They came back. Yeah, they gave up to the, get success. <laughs> it's a rock and roll track. Uh, the more garage. Yeah, yeah. Are you garage rock fan? Mm, yeah, yeah. What kind of music do you kind of play? What's your music sound like? Well, I don't know. How how can I describe the the, the my music? Yeah. It's about as a psychedelic monster. I'm a guitarist. Nice. Mm. Psychedelic? I describe it as fucking excellence. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I was in a very diff- different kind of band to play in a long time. Like, uh, because of Zenigiba and uh, Ashimaza Temple is a pretty di- different. I, I, I like to be between. Mm. You're somewhere between the garage rock and psychedelic. More on the progressive rock too. Oh yeah, Zinigiba is more kind of hardcore prog rock. Some, some somebody that described it like kind of between the Henry Cow and the Sreya or something. That's a good right. description. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. You know, I think there's a Venn diagram like prog, hardcore, psychedelic, garage, whatever. There's some similarities there though between uh, Zenitiv and the Fall, like with the repetition, getting away at stuff. The desire for agony, the the Zinigiba, the binaural, that uh, yeah. The backside there is a kind of photo of the gig, the back, back cover. No, but it's the DLP. The, the, the guitar, the, but this sticker of the Grateful Dead on my guitar. It's kind of shame. <laughs> the, you know, it was a long time ago. I put the sticker of the Grateful Dead on the Fender Stratocaster, and uh, everyone said, oh, What the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is stick stick on in guitar? I must confess I'm not fond of the Grateful Dead myself. What does Tim Three think of this song? I'm a mummy, novelty cover, but a full one. Sounds a lot like a garage rock nugget dug up, which it is, so no surprise there. Fine. Good, good. Um, what's next? Keep going, Brendan. Keep going. You're doing really well, lad. Keep going. It does caterer. <laughs> 
Alistair, what do you think of Daz Caterer? It's got a nice industrial sort of dance groove to it. Hard sounding drums, no guitar, but it does sound something that's just been put together by uh, like a producer and an engineer and Smithy's just sort of uh, wandered into the studio after he's uh, done an afternoon down the local, uh, mild. Yeah, it's, it's quite a nice tune, isn't it? It's a nice tune. So basically it's, it's a song free range from a couple of years earlier and it seems like they stripped all the instruments off and just used a version of the backing track and remixed it maybe and he sang over it uh, but um, i think nagel's involved it's pretty nice there's the, the I, I like the fact that there's um they've taken all the guitar off i think it works yeah i definitely agree it's got a very different sound to free range to it um but it just shows you what you do if you, what you can get if you go minimal i <laughs> what can you do if you go minimal? Me? You. I, I can do all kinds of things. What do you think uh, of this? What do you think this song does cater? I think it's fucking great. I mean, you've stolen my thunder a little bit because ideal chips from the left, chicken and chips off the bone, I offer up all on the menu, is possibly my favorite lyrics of the entire podcast. I mean, chicken and chips off the bone. Let, let's, let's take a while to reflect on chicken. And chips off the bone. I think it's one chicken of the best things I've ever heard. <laughs> off the bone. If it keeps on giving, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, this this is one of the things that really got me really into the fall was when he would drop a bomb like this. Uh, and, you know, there are similar bombs on, uh, well, on the same album, Dr. Book's Letter, on, on countless other songs. And it would just be bouncing around in my head for, for months, if not years. And, and Das Catra has done that with his chicken and chips off the bone. <laughs> Fucking comedy off goal. The off the bone. Off the bone. Chicken uh, and chips. Off the bone. And the, and the pot is sweet and basically he's basically singing over the backing track from free range and it's also got the synth sound from was it post nearly man the puddle paddle bottle battle kind of synth sound it's an unholy <laughs> coagulation of, of 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 I don't know what. But. Keep going, Ezra. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also sure that he whispers something about pineapples at around the one minute twenty mark, and that's not on the annotated. Listen form. really carefully. So I, you know, this is a message for Danny. Listen, <laughs> listen talking about pineapples. Okay, that's all. So, what do you think of this song? <laughs> oh, it's coming loose at the seams today, isn't it? Um, I've always loved this song. I've always loved it. As soon as I heard it, when it came out, I remember listening to this album and <laughs> I remember this song coming on thinking, Caterer, Caterer. He's not going to be. He's not going to be singing about a caterer. It must be like you know, is it like a, a euphemism for a dealer or something like that? I'm going to cater for you, or like a handler or something like that. <laughs> when he drops that line about chicken and chips, <laughs> no, he's just fucking singing about catering, isn't he? I I think that 
uh, it, it sort of it echoes a lot of the or probably foreshadows some of that von Suden felt kind of stuff, doesn't it? In terms of its arrangement and the idea behind it. I got last night when I was listening to this on the headphones, I started listening a lot more to the arrangement and how interesting the the choices are that they make on it and the way that the percussions laid on it on the on the sound and stuff. And it is it's a really quite odd arrangement in terms of the samples and, and it really shouldn't work, I think, the, the choices that they make, but it, it really comes together I think as a song I, I, I just had to reflect that the more I was doing that to try and focus on the other bits of the music the more that these odd phrases would just drift through from the song could crack me up again it's equally avant-garde and interesting and just comedic genius all the way through his delivery on it so it was impossible to get through this song, the description of this song, without falling apart laughing, really. So it's, uh, I, I think this is a real like, gem of the fall. It's beautiful. And Dad will keep you warm, and Mum will keep you warm. Ideal chips from the left, chicken and chips off the bone. Stick with me. I'm your Stick caterer. With me. Apparently, Mez played a caterer in two movies by Mark Ariel Waller. Glow Boys and Midwatch. Now, these are come out to my radar occasionally, but I think he's just in there a few minutes in the background, but he could also be the main character in these movies that nobody talks about. I'm going to go and uh, find out a bit more about them. Alistair, have I asked you what you think about this song? I haven't, have I? You have, yes, you have. <laughs> it, it was a very enjoyable insight, so I, I enjoyed it immensely. I thought it was very memorable, actually, Alistair. Possibly one of your best showings. Oh, what do you think about Das Kater, Al? Um, yeah, it's a song, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Tabata san, what do you think of Das Kater? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it looks like a kind of remix. It sounds like a digital rock. Or it does. It is digital rock. Uh, the foreigner, the played in the live show is the same music that they played when they released the, some kind of the, like a Manchester sound. You know, they will play the they play the music like a same as our album at that time. So if you listen to some live tracks from this time. It's it's definitely more rock sound. I played with them in you know, the same bill on the old tomorrow's party in yeah, two thousand two. The Shrak Shrak curated in the canvas hands. I think that they were a headliner of the first floor, ground floor. Ground floor was like kind of the seven hundred capacity, and the upstairs uh, the more bigger. The, the four played at the same time on the cheap trick. Okay. With the headliner, the, I went the upstairs. There is no fifteen hundred capacity. But it is very a kind of two hundred people there for the cheap trick. Yeah. Uh, the, the Steve Albini was dancing on the very front side of the like, <laughs> looks like kid. Yes, my my idol, the cheap trick. Yeah, something that looks like that. And I went to the downstairs of all the kind of crew house with a Nick Nielsen for the cheap tricks announcement. We're gonna go to the Manchester tomorrow. There is a booing of something. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the, the downstairs, the kind of, you know, the the floor is a, was kind of full house, even in England. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. Wow, the floor is very popular here. More than cheap trick. In, in Japan, it's kind of, it's, it looks like an opposite situation. Cheap trick or not, we're the never popular. Here. They're never super, popular in England. It's super big here. Budokan cheap trick. Yeah. 
albums. Anyway, the Cheap Trick was good because it, the poppy songs, but it many marshals it loud. It was good, but the four is really good. Time they had be head right up on the same time. Yeah. I go the upstairs and go to downstairs. I go, go upstairs and downstairs. Cheap Trick upstairs, the fall downstairs. The fall is downstairs. It's a head right now with us one of the three days. Yeah, Sonic Youth headlined one day, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Other head right now was The Wire and The Breeders. Okay. And, uh, three, three nights. It was a three yeah, nights. Yeah. That was when Albini had just uh, produced the Breeders album, wasn't it? That title take care. Uh, the did you um, did you chat with any members of Cheap Trick or The Fall at the All Tomorrow's Party? Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah, eating spot. And Rick Nielsen said, interesting that then he gave it. Oh, you are from Japanese band. Because nice. of the yeah, yeah, interesting was Japanese. Ah. I don't know. The Cheap Trick is the biggest in Japan. Cheap Trick is, I think, there. They came to many times to Japan because Japan is the most popular country for them. Good band. Good band. Yeah, they're good band. Are they? I, I don't know anything about Cheap Trick. No, no. They do some good poppy stuff. If you go back to those first few albums, it, it's nice, tight, uh, new wavy, poppy kind of stuff. Big punk rap. Yeah, yeah. What does so Tim 3 think of this <laughs> What's Tim? What does Tim three think? Is uh, is Port Naf West of Tim? Let's see. Um, <laughs> shall we oh, take a vote? So Ezra and Tabata San, what are you going for? I'm a mummy or Das Caterer? Das Caterer for me. How about you, Tabata? Uh, me too. They're the same. Yeah. Okay. For rugby. Das Caterer. Me too, Alistair. That's Caterer. That's a beat. Tim three. Uh, mummy. Ooh, it's a route. Moving on to the last two. So William Ray off Remit 2013 up against Cosmos 7 off Urzat's GB 2011. Rigby, what do you, 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 you think 
Uh, William <laughs> Ray. I love that intro. It's great. It's it's a real sort of punksy, monksy start. It's a bit monksy, isn't it? A little bit monksy. It's uh, I, I I really like the keyboard on this. I think the the mix is fab. Um, I think everything really works. Loads of energy. Tight as tight as cramp. The whole thing is is really everything's just nailed down to the beat, isn't it? Um, everyone sounds like they're having fun on it. This is um, that last sort of setup, isn't it, of the band where um, you, you get the impression that Murky Smith no longer had to shout hit it harder or do it faster or anything like that. It's like they just lock into those grooves straight away. I guess for me, the only the downside of this stuff is what we've said previously about this lineup, which is whilst they get everything right and they nail everything down, it, it's kind of what takes the interest away is um, uh, overall. But <clears throat> but it's it, it's a minor criticism I think on this track. It's I, I, it really grew on me and loads of energy about it, and I, I, I quite like it. Yeah, yeah, I really like that um, that synth. That kind of Eleni is Beautiful. moving yeah. through it, and uh, and Smith's bits of lyrics that just pop in here and there. But yeah, that Mister Rhodes style, he's like Greenway, Pete Greenway, right? It's like that's his go-to riff when he hasn't quite got an idea, and it pops up in so many of these songs. But yeah, nice, a uh, bit fall by numbers, a bit garagey, but energetic, tight. You're William and silver transparent. Are you amphibious, William Ray? Uh, apparently, he just made up William Ray. He's not a real person. So kudos, 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 Gali. Alistair, <laughs> what do you make of William Ray, sir? Yes, sir. That's not bad. Um, I agree with you when you say it's a bit fall by numbers. I've got that kind of scribbled down and notice like and the, that guitar riff and there's the sort of like very Sparta FC, hey, backing shouts. So there's, there's elements to that too. Uh, do you like, love the vocal delivery? Um, all that, wow, 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 wow. And he's getting sort of very Rowley Birkin QC. But of course, we were very, very drunk kind of thing. But yeah, the synth, uh, I also picked up on that. It's great, it just weaves in and out. Um, not like dead repetitive, it's it kind of meanders. It's very nice. Everything else is dead sort of standard in it. Um, you know, the, the guitar, the bass, the drums, they're not doing anything that's sort of like too much like a, a risk. You know, it's nothing to complain about, but it's nothing to sort of write home about. It's all right. That's kind of the criticism of the last five or six albums, like you said. <clears throat> so I think you hit the nail. On the head there, right? We said it met many times, a bit a whiff of pub rock here and there, a little bit of a everything's done right, but we just need some bits done wrong as well. Afraid the edge tight but loose in one corner, as a wise man might have once said. Ezra, so William Ray, tell us. Well, it's interesting because William Ray, he is preposterous at home. He looks pushes and touches, and I presume he does those things in the wrong way. And he also wears a Columbus shirt, but beneath it, he is silver and transparent. The narrator believes he may be amphibious. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure what else I can say. I'll wait. <laughs> It, it, it's That's also good. it's also good. Like got me pumping my uh, metaphorical fist in the in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the pelvis was twitching. Fuzzy and cavernous. <laughs> About uh, Mr. Tabata, right there. What, what do you think of Sir William Ray? Good. It is good. I agree. <laughs> 
Not bad. What's Tim Pree think? Beautiful Mez vocal pyrotechnics, full-on blast of gumminess, standard surf guitarist riff with some nice subtle synth work from the wife. I like it. Mm, ooh la la. It's up against Cosmos 7 off Azatz GB 2011. It was a blast. Charlie from the uh, World, what was it, the Royal Safety Adverts. <laughs> yeah, Cosmos 7. It's a quick, punky kind of thing. Uh, making them work out. Quite like the synth in it. Simple. Uh, vocals are fucking amazing though, aren't they? Like, you know, it's just, what the hell? Yeah, uh, it's, just, it's just Tommy Cooper gone ballistic. But yeah, it could have helped if they stuck another riff in there or just chucked some other dynamic in there. You know. But, you know, a lot of energy. It's all right. Took me a good few listens to get into it, but I do like the synth. That nice round kind of bass. It reminds me of uh, Radiohead. I've said that a few times, but I think that something off Kid A, that kind of that kind of almost jazzy kind of bass. Yeah, the, the, uh, with the drums as well, like, you know, it's the open hi-hat thing and the pace of it really reminded yeah. me of quite a bit of Lizard. Uh, but that's what I was thinking. You know, it's like, what would Jesus Lizard do here? And it would be like, would Chuck in a time change or something like I think it goes off the tracks when the guitar comes in because it's just, it's just playing what the bass is playing, right? It's, it's, there's not again I'd say both of these tracks the guitar is where it, it needed something else that cheesy fucking riff did nothing like the rest of it though I loved um, Smith is on top <laughs> gurgling and soft lad and gurgling Smith in the same tr- in the same song it's like yes please 
Reptilian mythical. If you took Smith off it in Eleni, uh, it'd be very difficult to listen to. Although I do, I do think that the drums and bass to a Sterling job. I think it's only our friend Mr. Greenway there on the uh, guitar who lets us down, unfortunately. How about you over there, Ezra? Ezra W. Of Tokyo Town. What do you make well, of Cosmos Seven? You know, it, it, it's balm to my soul to hear the word Jesus Lizard bandied about because I, I'm I'm dreadfully fond of the Jesus Lizard, and recently I've been listening or rather watching uh, a lot of the Jesus Lizard live shows on YouTube. And, you know, it, it, it's just wonderful. And anyone who's listening who hasn't heard the Jesus Lizard or seen the Jesus Lizard, you get on to that. And yeah, actually, I did feel that there was some Jesus Lizarding going on here. I'm not sure if it's conscious or unconscious. I've, I've got no idea. And I like this song. I like the drumming. The drumming is very, very spectacular. It seems like the, there are two versions, right? The first version is on the uh, B-side of the Laptop Dog single. And it seems to be about the O2 arena. Uh, and then like, by the time it finds its way onto Urzat's GB, it's really quite difficult to tell what it is about. The, the lyrics are just... <laughs> The, the only the only lyrics that I noted were a mythical European lifestyle con sharp brains and and to me that's really interesting because this seems to be a recurring theme throughout the entire career of uh, Smith's lyrics is like this idea of an image of Europe and European life and the reality and and that kind of harsh juxtaposition juxtaposition but it's fucking great like the album version more so it's fucking great and so yeah i'll i'll stop there five eyes sail the seas embrace and make sure her silver h co co2 rat's head cosmos 7 a mythical European lifestyle con, sharp brain, reptilian mythical, sea trembles in fountains, in pig, in green isle. Of course, that's all made up by the first person who got onto the annotated folder type of the lyrics because you cannot tell this single word he says at yeah. any point in this song, except for when he says, oh, cosmos, cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> Ever listen to Atletico Mint? They do, um, who is it? Who has the monkey, the pet monkey? And it's very funny. Anyway, Atletico Mint's Bob Mortimer's podcast. Very, very funny. Um, Tabata-san, what do you think of Cosmos 7? It's really good. I, I like that. Yeah. I don't have some lyrics. It's really difficult to hear. Great singing, though. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does Tim 3 think of this song? Yeah. Sounds like the track was sped up to me as a frantic backtrack for Brian Gurgle Mez. This could go on for hours and I wouldn't mind. Mez at his latter day best for vocal fire. More please, Governor. Oh, yes. Is that everyone? I can't remember. Let's say it is. Let's take a vote. William Ray or Cosmos 7. Alistair? Got one very difficult one. Um, I but know. I'm William Ray, I think. Philip? Billy Ray was a pizza's son. Voila. Ezra? Yeah, Cosmos 7. Nice. How about that song? Uh, last one. Cosmos 7. Cosmos 7, yeah. Tim 3. Cosmo. I am also going for Cosmos 7. Or am I? Because we're the clever people. Yes, I am. Cosmos 7. And yes, so... you're very clever. 
that's all it took. Just pushed me over the edge. Psychic Dance Hall, The Mixer, Daz Caterer, and Cosmos 7 fly through to the second round. Tabata-san, thank you very much. Oh, thank for, you. I hope you enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed it very much. Please come back next time. I will collect the whole, the four of them. But the original pressing is very expensive. It's easy to get every album. Our mate, Paul Static, can help you. There was a message from Tim3 who said, please tell Tabata that Tim3 thinks his music is a cosmic form of beauty and that I like the boobies on his artwork. Boobies. Thank you. Alistair was just asking earlier if, like, the repetitious nature of the fall maybe influenced Tabata's music. So I thought maybe we should ask him, did the fall influence your music? Was it an influence for your guitar? No. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So it's carry on and carry on and carry on with the rest. It maintains that intensity. Mm. Yeah. You like that kind of, you know, just keeping the fucking riff, endless riff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, you know, I mean, like, that's that's what it's all about. And it's not just the fall, you know, like, it's like noise. This this episode, for example. Ah, This episode. (laughs) Mm. I'm just joshing with you. Going all night. It's also your T-shirt because you never change it. This one? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit smelly, actually. Mm. He wears it every time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a riff that never ends. Mm. Why, and everyone? The stink, you know, the stinking <laughs> greases. Have a good evening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>